Lord, we thank you for uh, the blessing it is to have your word, which is a guide to our feet, to light to our path, uh, helping us, Lord, to make sense of life, helping us understand what's really important in this world, helping us understand the issues and the real deep issues of our hearts, uh, helping us understand who you are and what you're up to in this world. And so, Lord, uh, use your word, we pray now, to instruct our hearts as we now launch into a new year. And we pray that you may uh, cause us to uh, grow and to learn and to know you and to serve you and follow you faithfully until Christ returns. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, again, uh, look at James chapter 4. Uh, that's where we'll be looking at a passage here. And as you're turning there, I want you to think in your own experience have you ever had a situation where you know someone needs to have a word of exhortation, they need a word of encouragement to look at a particular area of their life that needs to be changed, and it's one of those awkward subjects you don't know how to sort of approach it, don't know how to begin to bring it up because you know it's going to be one of those awkward conversations? Well, I think James is facing that kind of situation as he writes this letter to the believers in the first century. James is definitely a person full of love. He is definitely concerned for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He brings to their attention a number of areas that they are struggling in. And the gospel has been lost sight of in some of their uh, relating to each other and in their relating to God. And so James is looking at a concern for these people. And he's, he says in chapter 4 of James, verse 10, he gets to one of those awkward topics. He says, listen, folks, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. It's not easy to talk about pride, particularly pride in other people's lives. But we all need to face the fact that we struggle with pride. I struggle with pride. We all struggle with pride. And I've as I've thought back here, I uh, didn't plan all this, but uh, each of my messages on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and now here today, all are related to this issue of pride and the need and the call to humble ourselves. And so I think humbly moving forward in trust and uh, trusting God is a good way to approach the new year. But you know, when it comes to humility, it's elusive. It's like that sliver of soap that you hold in your hand in the shower. You think you got a hold on it, but next thing you know, it slips out of your hand. As soon as you think you have become humble, you've lost it. You're no longer humble. It's easy to assume that you don't have a problem with pride, but over time, we can unconsciously slip into the mode of living that could be described as what I call practical atheism. Practical atheism. Now, some people will say, oh, come on. Uh, they object to the thought that they could be called as uh, struggling with practical atheism. They say, well, here I am in church on New Year's Day. Uh, I know my way around the Bible. But uh, when you think about it, practical atheism refers to anyone who lives as if God does not exist. See, James is confronting practical atheism among believers, among the people of God. They were in denial. They couldn't see it. And so he's trying to bring to their attention by bringing out a couple of the symptoms of practical atheism. 
so that they would come to the point where they would admit, you know, you're right, we, we have a struggle here, we have a problem with pride. And then after he points it out to them, he then gives them some very practical and helpful words on God's solutions to this issue of practical atheism. That's what we'll spend the majority of our time on this morning. So how do you begin to help someone who's in denial? Look at verse 13. <laughs> if you're like me, you'd say, well, let's, let's have a conversation here in the next few moments about the elephant that's in the living room. Let's talk about what's really here, but we are sort of ignoring it. And so he says, come now. <laughs> Don't you like that? Come now. Let, let's be honest here. Let, let's get down to some brass tacks here. And he's going to point out again the symptoms of living with no regard for God. And I wonder how many of these symptoms you might see in your life. Maybe they've been found in your life recently or maybe some time ago. Verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Let me just stop right there and just say, when you talk to yourself or when you talk aloud, you're revealing your heart, right? Scriptures say in Matthew 12, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So the sentiments that you're hearing here in James 4.13 reflect a heart that's committed to independent living. People who think this way are assuming that time is on my side. They overlook their frailty. They assume that they are in control of their own lives. They mark out the course of their life without any thought that things are not going to work out the way as if they had planned them. And they have a singular focus. In this particular instance, it's business. It's making money. And there are many people whose lives are just consumed with their thoughts and plans on what they're going to do and how much money they're going to make. And that really is the only thing that drives them. Other people, it could be the fact that they are counting on that graduation day. It's sealed in its red letter uh, on their calendar. It's something that they are definitely building toward and definitely sure it's going to happen on a certain day. Or it could be wedding plans. Or it could be a, uh, a day of which you, you have birth, give birth to a child, a retirement that's going to finally come, a dream vacation that you just keep uh, daydreaming about. Whatever it is. But the list of priorities may actually reveal that there's a heart developing in some of us that is rather self-reliant. We are the kind of people who may have become determined to do what we desire to do, when we desire to do it, and we are counting on seeing the results that we desire to come about, and that really has become the core of of our longings. It's no wonder then in verse 17 of this section here that James points out the fact that, sorry, verse 16, he talks about, be careful about boasting in your arrogance. That when you boast and you're confident that you think your plans are going to happen the way exactly when you think they're going to happen, exactly the way you want them to happen, and the results are going to be this is the way you expected, you better be careful, he says, because you're getting into some kind of boastful, boastfulness that can really be quite offensive to God and evil. Perhaps this has subtly begun to happen to you. 
you slip into the mode in which you say, well, you go to church one day a week, you tip your hat to the spiritual realities of life, but on Monday through Saturday, you go through your life and your focus is really on doing your own thing, secular pursuits, things that have nothing to do with God. In some ways, you could say you've slipped into the way of living that's called compartmentalized Christianity. My Christianity is split now between two realms. This is what I'm doing and has to do with God, and this is the rest of my life and has to do with what I'm doing. It's not a very good way to live, and really, you can't live that way. So it's a distorted view in which we have then somehow changed our view of God, that God becomes a person who, instead of being viewed in the biblical view of God who rules over everything, we look at God who rules over just this little realm of my life, instead of ruling over everything. We reduce God down to a local deity, and he's only concerned about limited areas of our lives, rather than the description that Paul used when he's talking there in Athens. He says, in God we live and move and exist. God has to do with everything. So as we start our new year of 2017, I guess the question we should be asking ourselves, what's your view of God? Is God the one in which you live and move and exist? Is He irrelevant to your life Monday through Saturday? Do you plot out your plans in humble submission to God's will and God's ways? James would say, come now, let's not ignore some of these subtle symptoms that might be developing in your life. God's calling us today to abandon this self-centered focus to life. He's providing us here in this text, James does, with some three practical principles. So here's your outline if you didn't get it in your bulletin, and you didn't get it in your bulletin because I didn't get it planned in there. So if, you were, if you're looking for your three points, here they are today. Three points to help us live in humble submission to God rather than presumptuously planning our lives as if God didn't exist. First thing, plan with God in mind. Plan with God in mind. He says here in verse 13, for, sorry, 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Now, before I go any further here, I want to just say something very clearly. Don't misunderstand this text and what I'm trying to say here at this point. James 4 is not saying that we should do away with planning. That's not what we're saying here in this text at all. Uh, living spontaneously, that is, off the cuff, just doing things, whatever, whatever comes to mind, you just do that with your life. That's not the better part of wisdom. Clearly, there are many biblical principles in Scripture that, that teach us otherwise. The response that James is looking for is not to live a disorganized life. That's not what he's suggesting here at all. As a matter of fact, what he's calling for us to do is to humbly submit to God by planning with God in mind. So I've included in your notes, in your bulletin, a number of helpful questions which I believe are designed to help you begin to think through evaluating where you are in life and encouraging you to take those questions, and I don't look at all through all of them now, 
But there's a number of them here to think through several of these questions little by little and begin to say, what do I want to see change in my life in the year ahead? What do I learn from last year? What do I want to pursue in the year ahead that, that takes some thought, takes some, some specific uh, effort on my part to make sure this is something I'm pursuing? For example, uh, um, number 10, what single thing that you plan to do, what, what is one single thing that you plan to do this year that will matter most in 10 years or in eternity? What a great question. There are many helpful things that we can do to plan well. So I'm not saying don't plan. But what he is saying here is that when you make plans, you have to understand what? We can't plan with 100% accuracy. Nobody, uh, none of us knows and can predict the future with 100% accuracy. Our perspective and our knowledge is so limited. We're unable to see beyond the moment right here at hand. We can have a general idea and we can make some, some uh, tentative plans, but we don't know for sure. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 1. You might want to write that one down. Proverbs 27, verse 1. The writer of Proverbs says, Do not boast about tomorrow. Do not boast about tomorrow. Why not? For you do not know what a day may bring forth. When I read that verse, one date comes to mind so quickly now, October the 4th, 2015. I'm in New Orleans. I'm in a hotel workout exercise room, and I'm on an elliptical machine. And I'm just doing what I do often when I'm traveling. I've just recently done it when I was out of town again. I know I'm not an elliptical machine. I don't do those anymore. But uh, I'm, on an, I'm on a treadmill or whatever it is, and I'm exercising in the morning. And on that particular day, I'm just working out. And next thing you know, shortness of breath, pain in my back, uh, feel like I can't hardly uh, do anything. I've got tightness in my chest. I'm thinking, am I dying here? And that moment, my life changed. I have no idea what was going to happen that day. And this past year, I've had to have two CAT scans to make sure that they see what all is going on inside of me to make sure that everything is the way it needs to be. We don't know what's going to happen any given day. And certainly, I hope you've learned that lesson. I've learned that lesson very, very powerfully in my life. Life is unpredictable. Now, do you honestly doubt that biblical principle? I hope not. I hope that you're aware that's pretty much very obvious. What's the second principle here? Life is brief. Life is brief. Look at verse 14. You are just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say that life, when you compare it to eternity, your lifetime compared to eternity is just a very small, small spot on a big, long continuum. Now, I tried to bring an illustration here to show you, wake you up at this point, because some of you may be a little tired. So let's use this approach. If I take this string, now can you see if there's, in the middle of this string here, right? Everybody see the little red ribbon? I tried to get one that's a little wider so you could see it. But imagine if this string was to continue on in this direction, going northward to the upper reaches of, let's say, Canada, and this one is going south to the end of, is it Argentina? What is it, Chile? 
all the way down South America. And imagine if it continues going that direction. And this is time. This is eternity, representing eternity. And here's your lifetime right here. It's just a little tiny moment compared to the huge expanse. I shouldn't have brought, I shouldn't have included an end point on either end. That was not helpful. But imagine just going in the direction ad infinitum. And here's that little ribbon of your life. It's very brief. And so he uses the example of your breath that you exhale on a cold morning. You see it for a second and it's gone. And, uh, and then, he, of course, it's, it's repeated in Scripture again and again. Compared to eternity, life is short. Psalm 39. Lord, make me know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths. That was the shortest distance you could measure in the biblical times because that was something that was the size of one, one's hand compared to trying to measure, you know, miles or whatever. There are other verses. Psalm 103 is another text where he talks about uh, our days are like grass. Our lives last only for a moment when compared to eternity. When you look at an old photo album, which I brought one with me today, this is called The Bugle, and it has a date on it, 1910. It's a leather-bound college yearbook that belonged to my grandfather. He graduated in 1910 from uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia Polytechnic Institute. And so when you look at his page here, here he is, he's at age 22, and you can't see it, but there he is. He's got his military uniform on, a handsome young man, and a couple comments about him, what kind of uh, things he was involved in at that time in his life. And stuck inside of this, I've been going through all this family history stuff, here's a list of, it called, the old guard members who attended a reunion, people here from this uh, time of attending Virginia Tech, in 1982, they all got together, and it's got a picture of the folks from this album. Here they are as senior citizens. My grandfather attended that reunion. But guess what? Everybody in this book is gone. They're dead. My grandfather died. Everybody's dead in this book. But they all look so vibrant. They all look so young. They all look so strong and active. The point is, if you last long enough, all of us know that we eventually lose our youthfulness. We eventually no longer are breathing, active, and engaged in so many activities. If you feel young, if you feel healthy, if you're active, you need to take this truth to heart. It's not going to last forever. Many of us have known the excitement of holding a burning, sizzling sparkler. You ever had a sparkler in your hand? How many of you had a sparkler? Man, oh man, when I was a kid, that was the most fascinating thing. It's got this brilliant display of sparks just flying in every direction. It's like a little pyrotechnics in your hand you're holding, you know. And uh, in a short time, what happens though? It doesn't last long, but it fizzles out. And what a, what a great reminder for us. Life is like that. If you're young, if you're still in your teen years, Life is short. If you're an adult, if you're a young adult, if you're a middle-aged adult, if you're a senior citizen adult, we all know that. 
we're starting to deal with the reality that life is short. The thrill of life is so captivating and thralling, but soon it's going to come to an end. So shouldn't this principle factor into our plans? Our days on this earth are short, and our life on this earth is unpredictable. Every time you have a birthday, every time you attend a funeral, every time you have a disease diagnosed, every time you have an accident that you hear about reported, should remind us of the brevity of life. Our existence is like this little ribbon on a long continuum of eternity. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And that's why it causes us to be humble, to be able to realize and say, I've got to humble myself to realize I am not at the center of everything. I'm not in control of everything. And therefore, he says in his conclusion there, verse 15, we must make conditional plans. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. The if that James uses here is not the if of doubt or of dreadful worry, but it's the if of anticipation, the if of confidence in God. We're to leave room for God and His plans. We're to make plans with maximum flexibility. So in verse 15, we have now seen a phrase that's been coined from Latin, a phrase that baffled me for quite a long time, uh, sort of in a long story, but my mother, it, when I was in college, uh, wrote me a letter, and she was known to be a person whose handwriting was notoriously difficult to read. I used to call it hieroglyphics. Uh, you used to have to sort of translate it, and if you weren't familiar with her handwriting, you would be totally lost. You wouldn't know what in the world she was writing. And she wrote me a letter one time in college. I read through the thing, and I would oftentimes try to figure out what she was saying based on the context. I'd read what came before, what comes after, and I'd figure out what that weird word was. Well, she wrote something on this one letter, and I'm like, what in the world did that say? And I couldn't forget. So I finally uh, called her on the phone one time, and I said, I'm just curious, what did you mean you've got some kind of D-E-O-V-O-L-E-N-T something? She goes, oh, you don't know what that is? I'm like, it's not English. I don't know what it is. She goes, it's Deo Volente. Deo Volente. I said, well, what's that? I never took Latin. Sorry, I'm a little ignorant, but uh, not very well educated. And she says, oh, that's Latin for God willing. And so now I use that uh, abbreviation, capital D, capital V, is a way of saying God willing. These two words are used to express an attitude of submission before God, in which we say, listen, I have my desires, I have my hopes, I have my things I'm looking forward to, but uh, it's all under the sovereign, providential hand of God, God willing. That's the way the Apostle Paul lived. Listen to these examples in his own writings in the New Testament. Acts 18.21, Paul says, I will return to you again if God wills. And then 1 Corinthians 4.19, I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians 16.7, I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. 
All of us are called to humbly submit to God's providential will. And wise, humble living will recognize that God is in sovereign control of everything. So are we paying lip service to God's absolute sovereignty? Do you close your Bible, go about your day, giving no thought to God and His sovereign plans for you? Look at the conclusion that James makes there, verse 17 of chapter 4. James says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, what's the right thing to do? Well, in the context, it's humbly submit to God's sovereign plans. He knows the right thing to do, and he does not do it. That is, we go on making plans like a materialist or a practical atheist who believes that only the things of this world have value. To that person, it's sin. We transgress God's revealed will. And so let's be aware of accommodating this kind of boastful, arrogant, presumptuous way of planning and going on with our life. In the year ahead, let's remember that God is calling us to rely upon His promises, to recognize that He is dealing with us in a providential, sovereign way. We don't know exactly what's going to happen down the road. And we're to live under His sovereign hand. I don't know about you, but to me that means that we have to live one day at a time and we have to live with the confidence of what God says in Romans 8 that says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live with some sort of trepidation thinking, oh no, what happens if some disaster happens? No, I'm not going to live that way. I'm just going to live with a sense in which, Lord, this is the day you've made. I'm your servant. I'm your child. And you know what's best. And here's what I'm hoping to do. But may your will be done. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises of Scripture that assure us that life is not just randomness, that the events of our lives are not just chance events that just uh, happen to be occurring. We thank you that there's a plan, for, there's a purpose for everything. We thank you, Lord, that our life is going somewhere. Life is not just an endless uh, circle of uh, existence that's meaningless. But we thank you that because Christ has entered this world, there is a future culmination someday, consummation. We pray, Lord, that we might be reminded again of who you are, the sovereign one, one who is providentially controlling all events, all affairs in this world, even down to the tiniest things in our lives. I pray that you would fill us, Lord, with a fresh sense of humble adoration for you. I pray that you would help us to be moving forward in the new year, confident that you are bringing into place your will and that we can trust you, knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ not even the worst possible things that we could imagine. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to beware of living arrogant lives, assuming that we are in control of what's happening in our lives. Lord, help us, we pray, to live in humble dependence upon you and to know that you are our Master, our Lord, and our Savior. May this be our daily reality. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.